All right, can you hear me? All right, here we go. Yeah, so I just want to let you all know, um, thank you, Ryan, for that, um, and uh, appreciate it. There are bags for you in the back. It's actually just behind the sliding door, the sliding barn doors. And so if you are a guest here, we do have a bag. It was just playing a little hide-and-go-seek. Um, so please connect with somebody um, at Hope um, after service, and we'd love to just hear more of your story and uh, hear more about what br- brings you here to Hope. Um, just super excited for all uh, as home groups are coming to close and especially as we're starting up our summer series um, and uh, in, in worship, uh, the heart of worship uh, it should run all the way up to about August and uh, really excited about that, excited about um, getting into God's word as men and uh, the gathering has just done such a great job at just opening up the space for us to be able to grow in John together. Uh, 6.30s on Tuesday starting this week. Um, really excited and really lo- love for you guys to jump in there and, and for the ladies, for their belong studies to kick off. Um, just a lot of things um, going on. Uh, check on Realm and check on our website if you want to be connected um, into uh, our body. Um, well, let me uh, go in and um, let's go ahead and pray as we dive into God's word today. Father, we are just overwhelmed. Just as I was picturing, as I was singing um, with the body, how your goodness is running after me. Just picturing, God, how you have been pursuing me year after year, minute after minute, moment after moment, and pursuing me, God, even when I did not want to pursue you. Father, it just overwhelms me with so much love and thankfulness, God, that you would just be kind to a sinner like me where I've failed and I've not sought your face. I have run away from you in fear. I have not done what, Lord, you've called me to do on so many occasions, but Lord, your grace never runs out. Lord, I just pray that today that we would see you as the one who pursues us and that we would be overwhelmed by your goodness and your mercy that your mercy is running after us. It is pursuing us in the person of Jesus Christ and his redeeming grace. God, continue to to remind us of that today. Even when we are exploring the word of God about worship, to understand that worship does not come just from, just a, a response to you, but Lord, it's first come from an act of worship, no less than the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you that you've enabled our worship leader, our worship. You are the very object, the subject, and you're the very speaker, and you're the very singer of today. And so, Lord Jesus, may your word speak to us, may your spirit teach us and compel us to stir the fire of more and more worship more and more praise, more love for you, God, because we long for you. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you. And Father, may that be my heart, and may it be all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.
All throughout uh, my elementary school and all through to high school, um, I was a confessingly band nerd. I loved being, um, I loved playing. I played trumpet when I was in fourth grade. And um, I went all the way until high school. And that was back in California. And, we, um, and I joined the marching band. And at that time, we were pretty good, actually. We were a pretty big unit. We had about 210 people on our marching band. Um, our, our basic, you know, our thing that we did was jazz. And we did it really well. And so as a trumpet player, um, we would carry the melodic line which if you're not familiar with music, it's just the short sequence of notes that would form a distinctive portion of the song. In fact, it's the main melody that usually gets repeated over and over again throughout different portions of the song. So when we played through our school's fight song, Conquistadores, we would play the tune, so we'd play that over and over and then the low brass or the baritones, the tubas, the French horns would all echo that. And so we would be the lead in sharing that melodic line. And then you put it together with the percussion, which I've always wanted to be a part of the, of the drum line. And, um, and then you would just get the rhythm thrown into the mix. But you got to keep the main thing the main thing. And if you drown out the melodic line, you are not balanced. And so often the band director would shout to us, low brass, keep it down so we can hear the, mel the melodic line. And so I was so used to just playing that main melodic line until my sophomore year in high school um, had my band director basically said, um, you know, your embouchure or your, your lips are probably better used for um, like more, uh, more of, a, of the low end, of the low brass. Um, and you have chops maybe suited for baritone. So that's actually when I switched. I think it was just a nice way of saying, man, you're not really that good. Um, and so I switched to baritone. And all of a sudden, everything was just turned upside down. I was not reading alto clef anymore. I was reading bass clef. Everything was turned upside down, and I just struggled through that. But for once, I was not the instrument that was carrying the melodic line. Um, and our goal was just basically to provide a counter rhythm or a supporting rhythm um, to provide the back end um, of the ensemble. But the main thing, and everything, the main thing is about you have to stay in step. You have to keep in rhythm. And not only that, as you're putting together the music together, you are marching in formations, you're forming blocks, you're forming lines, company fronts, all sorts of things, and you're trying to stay in rhythm. And when it all worked together, it came together. I still remember um, our last show. It was at the Tournament, tournament of Champions. And um, before, um, we, we, before, the tradition was to always just let off a bunch of red, white, and, and uh, red, white, and blue balloons into the sky as we turned around and we did our opening, um, uh, our opening sequence. And I still remember that. And it was just a, a glorious time. It's just one of those things where you, as a high school kid, you're looking into the lights and you're doing this, you know, you're, you're pointing your bell into, your, uh, into the stands and just, you're just having an incredible, incredible time. But the main thing is that we had worked so hard for that moment. And the one thing that we kept on doing over and over, not just marching, not just playing and memorizing the song, was tuning. We always got to make sure that we're always tuned together. And that's how worship actually works. Worship is kind of the same way. 
If worship is like a, a marching band, we need to tune our hearts to the spirit of God. Our hearts need to be tuned to be seeing worship as a love for God. And when everybody is tuned in their heart, then we get out of the way because we want to hear the melodic line to the worship. And then there are rhythms to our worship as well. So everybody has to stay in step with the spirit. And there'll be like repetitions. There will be learning the charts and the music and we keep on going and practicing it. But as the months and the times went by, we got better and better. And that seems to be the same way in our individual and our corporate worship times should not just be a rehearsal of the same things, but it should be times in which we are being retuned um, in our hearts to love God. I mean, even in the last song, I was just overcome by the, the goodness of God and how it just ran after me and is pursuing after me. And I remember all the failures and all the struggles that I had gone through to be able to um, continue to be in relationship with God. And it just brought to mind so many memories and just refueled my love for, for him, even in this time. And the question is, what, what should be the melodic line for our worship? And then also, what are the rhythms that keep us in step with the Spirit in our worship? So just our roadmap for today um, is we're not going to look at the entire psalm and in its entirety, but I just want to just mention two main points here. And our roadmap for today is the melodic line of worship is the gospel, so that's the first point that I want to talk through. And then the second one is on the rhythms of our worship. And we're going to be talking about um, these throughout this summer as we're kind of jumping into our worship series. Um, but let's talk about the melodic line of our worship. The melodic line of our worship is the gospel. When you think about worship, the heart of our worship is our love for Christ in response to how he has loved us. In other words, to take that song, he's ran after us in our darkness and our sin. And when we didn't even have our hearts wanting God or desiring God, and yet God in love sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, 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 to go and live a sinless life, to die the death that we should have died and live uh, the life that we should have lived to him and died and resurrected again so that he can defeat death and sin and Satan and bring us back to him through our faith and our coming under his lordship. And so that's the song, that's the melody in which our worship is to represent or represent the gospel. It is not only to show the gospel, but it's also to invite us. It's an inv invitation to come into his story and to come into the story under the lordship of Jesus and to rehearse these ordinary gospel rhythms and then to be changed by it. So that's the melodic line. The rhythms of worship, of our corporate worship, um, are, are, I'm gonna lay this out in a second, but some of the, the worship elements or the worship rhythms that you see in scripture over and over again are adoration, confession, gospel, assurance of pardon, instruction, gratitude, and consecration. And they're not repetitions or empty rituals, but these are ordinary rhythms to refuel our love for God and to be sent out to pour out that love for others. So gospel-centered worship, the melodic line is the gospel so that we remind ourselves of the truths and the love of the gospel to, so that we can be sent out to spread that gospel. 
And so the heart of our worship, if we're really looking at the heart of, the, of our worship, we gotta always look at what God's word says. I mean, if we're gonna worship a God who is incredibly holy, gracious and great and awesome, we need to go back to his word. There's no even greater way that we can worship God by going back to his word and study what the word says about worship. So go ahead and take a look. It's uh, quoted um, up there, but I just wanted to quote to frame our time um, a theologian and also a worship leader, a professor. His name is Brian Chappelle. He says, Christian worship has a gospel pattern, not because someone's rule book demands it, but because believers express their love to God by responding to the way that he has expressed um, his for them. He expresses his love for us and not by mandating rituals to constrain us, but by sending his son to redeem us. Worship is a response to our redeemer. The heart of Christian worship is love for Christ. We cannot love him without extolling his greatness, confessing our weakness, seeking his goodness, thanking him for his grace and living for his glory. So out of love for him, we worship him in these ways. Our worship has a gospel pattern, not because we are coerced into such ritual, but because our hearts are compelled to love Jesus. You know, worship service is not just a bunch of things that we do on a Sunday. It's not a bunch of random things that we put together um, and we call it worship. We do it because God and his worth demands it but also his love for us compels us to love him. And so what we see here is that worship service is when everyone unites around the gospel message. In a sense, the worship service is not just um, one part of it is the gospel. We don't just tack on a gospel message, a two-minute presentation at the very end of our service. No, hopefully that you see that the gospel is both honored and treasured and prized here at Hope. And we also see that um, the melodic line of the gospel, um, even in the Old Testament, echo the gospel, um, and even in certain parts of the Old Testament. Um, one passage that you probably know of and you've probably read of is Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, um, it was a time in great um, consternation. Everything was in flux um, in, in Israel. Israel was short of a king because King Uzziah had just died. And so the question was, who is in charge? Who is in leadership? And then at that time in Isaiah 6, God, uh, God gives Isaiah a vision and it's God on his throne in his holiness. And he quickly comes face to face with his own sinfulness. And then God cleanses Isaiah of sin. Um, as he's bent down on the ground, he says, woe is me for I am undone. Basically meaning that his whole fiber of his very being because of his holiness of God, that he is just being unraveled and being like torn apart because of the sinfulness of his own heart. But then God comes in and he cleanses Isaiah of sin. Remember, he presses the hot coal on Isaiah's lips and assures him that you are forgiven. Your sins are atoned for. And then the prophet responds with just glad devotion that had led him to minister um, later on God's word and faithful obedience. Even as you see later in Isaiah's experience, it was in, in obedience 
to people who were faithless, to people who wouldn't want to listen to him. And yet, yet God still has empowered and empowers Isaiah to go out and be consecrated, to be his prophet, and to share his word to people who, has clo- who have closed off their eyes and closed off their ears. Again, this is not to say that Isaiah's experience must be our worship experience forever for all churches. It just means that when you encounter God in his glory, God remains the same. Just when we were singing today um, in the second song that God never changes. And as you encounter God in his glory, because his glory doesn't change, the way that he ministers to you, the way that he speaks to you also doesn't change. There's just common responses when we encounter his greatness and glory. And so when you look at Isaiah 6, you see it laid out in God's, in, in, in verses 1 through 4, you see God, adoration, you see God's character um, just being recognized in the first four verses. And in verse 5, you see him confessing his sin. And then verse 6 and 7, you see God's grace um, assuring him of forgiveness. And then in verse 8, then you see a response of thankful devotion in verse 8 following into instructions for obedience in verses 9 through 12, and then a promise of covenant blessing in verse 13. We also see this in the Old Testament elsewhere. Um, you can take a look later on in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, in the, the passage we just had last week in family worship, you can also look at Second Chronicles 5 through 7 in Solomon's dedication of the temple. But you see this reflected in even temple worship practices. When they would go up to the temple, they would first go in a line and go and parade up to the temple. And that's where the Psalms come in. They have something called the Songs of Ascent. You'll see that in Psalm 120 to 131, which literally would go up to the mountain and up to the temple and singing songs, halal, praising God for who he is and for what he has done and reminding them as they prepare to enter the temple, they are coming before a holy God and a great God. And then there were temple sacrifices emphasizing sacrifices for sin and then cleansing and consecration. Then lastly, there's a peace offering in which would restore man's fellowship and communion with God and with his people that would, that, that slaying of a goat or a ram would just be that atonement for sin that would allow sinful men and their sins to be atoned and be accepted and received in communion with the holy God. And so you see this. Now let's take a look at the New Testament um, in, in Romans chapter 11 through 15. And so we also see, see echoes of gospel patterns even in the passage. If you would like to turn with me, turn to Romans chapter 11, 33 to 36. And you also see the pattern come out as well. In verse 33 to 36, Paul has just talked about God's judgment, human sin, Jesus's justification of sin, um, his election in 9 through 11, and then following that, he is just overwhelmed. Look with me in verse 33 to 36. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him, are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
So first you see a recognition of God's character in Romans 11, 33 to 36. And then in verse one, we get into Paul acknowledging his need and encouraging the brothers at Rome, the church at Rome, of their need for God's mercies. He says, I urge you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, right? In other words, they were a people who have been saved by mercy. And they were in need of God. And in verse 2, we, we see after that assurance of mercy in verse 2, we see a thankful response. And that thankful response is literally not just animal sacrifices, but now the church is being called to be a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and not to be transformed by the conforming of this world, but be tested and be conformed to the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, that which, is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So you see a thankful um, response that launches in in chapter 12, verse 3, all the way to chapter 13 to 14, 13, verse 14, and instructing, instruction in new obedience leading to communal care for one another um, as uh, Paul gives some instructions on how to care for the body and how to care for uh, their communities and the world ending in a charge and a benediction. Now, this is a lot to kind of take in on a Sunday, but, and this is not saying that the scriptures are mandating that we only have one worship order and we need to strictly follow this order, um, or that Paul had specifically wrote this, this to churches in order to establish some kind of worship uh, template for service, and you can't, you can't deviate from that. That's actually not the point. The point is, going back to the melodic line, is that this, the melodic line of our services should sound just like that first day in which you saw God in all of his greatness, you and your own sinfulness, and you got touched and redeemed by God's grace. And then you responded with a new heart, new mind, and new affections. And you sprung up, not because you had to, but because you wanted to follow Jesus. That should be the rhythms and the melodic line of our worship services. And that's what the melodic line is. It's the gospel it's helping us to represent the gospel every single time. And every single time, we're inviting us to stoke the fires of the hot coals of God's mercy and remembering when it was put to our lips and put to our hearts and reminding us of the times in which Jesus had saved us, brought us into his kingdom, reminded of his, of his grace, and showed us his glory. And so that's the line. That should be showing the melodic line in all of our services. The other thing is that this is just because this is a gospel melodic line, it's not saying that, that in any way that we're diminishing any other members of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It's not saying that we're ignoring them, yet that's the narrative line, the melodic line that weaves all members of the Trinity together and that they were all in this they were all delighting in each other and they wanted to delight in fellowship and invite us into that fellowship um, of a triune God. And this is what it took, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice in order for you to get into this and be invited in. And so if Jesus has saved us for worship, then it was Jesus' act of worship 
that has part in us. We would have been destined for spiritual death if God had not sent Jesus to save us. So all of worship is really a response to what God has done already through his son. And now the Holy Spirit is continuing that work of redemption by asking us, asking um, the Spirit to come and to be our comforter, to be our guide in truth, John 14, John 15. And then, and then the Father is the one that's behind the scenes engineering it all. And it all goes back to the Father glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Father and the Father um, you know, pointing and the Son and the Holy Spirit pointing to the Son and the Father. So that's our gospel. Um, the gospel is our melodic line of our worship. But one thing that we have to think about in another element um, that we need to think about is its rhythms. Um, if the gospel of Jesus is the melodic line of our worship, how do we stay in beat? Um, I used to also be a, a bass player, and so I learned bass in high school. I remember um, it was a really, it was a really uh, kind of a junky, kind of beat up bass. Um, I remember it had four, it had four strings, which is good, um, but it didn't have a tuning head <laughs> on the last string, and so I think I just had to ignore that string for then, which was fine, because it was the last string, so I didn't know much, and my worship leader just said, hey, go and learn these four chords, and uh, G, G, C, E, and D, and um, come, to, come to fellowship, and you're playing. <laughs> and that was my entry into, um, I guess, worship music and then eventually um, worship leading. And before long, I joined a band. Um, and I joined a band. It was at my church um, at the time. It was called Falling Upwards. We do not exist anymore. Um, just in case you are wondering, we played a grand total of about two shows. Um, one, we were invited because the main band dropped out, so they just needed somebody to plug in. Um, and so... <laughs> I remember practicing and practicing, but the one thing that I was always told is don't get too crazy. Don't be too all up into yourself that you are destroying the melodic line. You're just the support, you're a bass player, you're setting the rhythm, you're setting the foundation along with the drums. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about those rhythms, our worship rhythms this summer. I'm really excited about diving into these um, gospel rhythms and we're praying that this would really refuel our worship for Jesus more. And I'm just looking forward to our elders um, who will be speaking into these different gospel rhythms. I think God has really gifted so many of these elders with incredible perspectives, um, just, um, just experience and just a love for God and really would love for them to, to speak in on that. And so um, after encountering next week, Jake will be speaking on um, confession and weakness. When we come before the greatness of God, our natural response is to say, we're weak and we need Jesus. And so he'll be talking about that and talking about and tying it into some of the rhythms that we do um, here at, at Hope. One of those things is post-sermon prayer in which, you know, we invite you. If there's any struggles, if there's anything that is just weighing de deep on your heart, we have a um, prayer team that would delight in just serving you just by praying for you and lifting you up. But it also um, just requires that transparency. And that's what I love about hope. That's what had just drawn me to hope and from the very beginning of just seeing people coming up and just laying out everything and just, and just praying and just asking asking God to just enter in into their struggles. And so we'll be doing that, and then um, I'll be talking a little bit about uh, the gospel word and about the assurance of pardon and how the gospel meets us in our weakness. 
Um, and that's also seen through our instruction, which is our sermons. Um, it's also seen also in things like, and reenacted in things like communion. Um, and as Eddie is, is our lead worshiper in song, we want him to speak in. So he's going to be speaking on the power of thanksgiving through song. Really looking forward to that. And then Randy will speak on the power of living for God's glory and being consecrated and being set apart for worship. And so he'll be kind of tying it into our spiritual gifts and how worship is uh, both a, it's both an individual but also it's a symphony. It's all the gifts of the body working together. So that's what we're looking forward to in this series in the summer. Really excited about it. But as we zoomed out to the big picture of what the purpose of worship is, uh, the melodic line of the gospel, what about the worship rhythm of, first of all, extolling the greatness of God? So let's take a look back at Psalm chapter 145. Psalm 145. And we're just gonna go through uh, the first three verses I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. If there's ever passages that makes you want to stop and gaze at the wonder of God, it's this one. Psalm 145 is the last psalm that David had ever written. And it's also an acrostic psalm, which means it begins with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph, and then Beit, and then Gimel, and Delta, and so, and, 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 and so on. And this one only actually has 21 letters, because most Hebrew letters lack the one for N. So um, what we see here is just a beautiful acrostic, a beautiful picture, even down to its literary form um, of God's greatness. And this is where you see God at work at the heart of David. At the very head of this psalm, the heart of worship is extolling God's greatness. In two lines, he says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. And then he uses parallel lines, and he says, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. You know, this is not just repetition. This is just saying that David cannot get enough of the greatness of God. He's got to say it not once, but at least twice. And that's what worship is, church. We're not coming here for our human preferences. We're not coming here just because we like certain songs or we like sermon sermons or we like certain types of rhythms. We come because we are being confronted by a holy and a great God, one who is to be extolled forever and ever and ever and a day. You think about that, that even this psalm writers always talk about, with my last breath, I'm going to praise you. Think about that. Think about how if you were one of those psalm writers and you were praising God over and over and over, all the way to the end of your life to say that my last breath I took was praising and extolling the greatness of God. He is just saturated and transfixed by the glory and greatness of God. And this is where our worship has to be profoundly God-centered because our attention is direction, 
is to extol God as our king. Extol, it actually means um, to be utterly enraptured in. It's to exult in. It's repeated about 36 times in the Bible. It's an old um, English word that is made up of two parts. Ex, which means out, and toler, which means to raise. So extol means to praise enthusiastically. Um, literally, your praise, your joy would just be raised up to the heavens and out of your mouth because you just can't help but do that. It's as if as you're talking as natural as your breath, as you speak, it just comes out. That's what it means to, means that to praise enthusiastically to go into raptures about over and over. <laughs> you know, we do that a lot, don't we? We extol a lot, a ton, and we don't even realize that. We can extol about the things, the greatest deal that we got on Amazon over Memorial Day weekend. We can extol about the steak that we had just grilled last weekend. We can extol in the playoffs in which somebody leads off with a walk-off home run. We extol in good restaurants and in, in good, um, good food. We can extol someone's qualities, that they're so kind or they're so wise or so hospitable or that they're amazing athletes or amazing speakers. See, extolling happens because naturally because we don't even realize it. And the question is, does extolling describe your worship of God? Does extolling express the very heart of your being? We extol him because of his steadfast character. We extol him because of his absolute greatness. And that his greatness is absolutely beyond comprehension. In fact, it echoes Paul's words in which he says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And so when we worship God, we are saying that his greatness is beyond anything. It's on a whole another level. And it just becomes a joy, something that just enraptures you, just overwhelms you, that it just overtakes your entire being. So far from worshiping a lyrical warm-up before the sermon or a spiritual high or uh, just singing your favorite song so you can get to the meat of things, it is literally a saying, I extol you, God, there is nothing more important in my life than who you are. And there will be nothing more important a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years later. God, you are great. And I will spend the rest of my life unearthing the minds of your unspeakable what we see here in Psalm, the rest of Psalms, uh, Psalm 145, we see the greatness of God as he's extolling God. He's, in other words, ascribing the worth due to God's name. He, it just blends in and just come, goes to everything. In verse four through seven, we see that not only it's his praise, but he's saying that one generation shall worship and commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In other words, his praise is not just his praise alone, but he's saying God is worth all of all generations' praise. 
even generations to come and generations from now are going to be telling of the might of God's great and awesome works. And in verse seven, that they will pour, uh, they will pour the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing of your goodness. And we see David's praise intermingles with the corporate call to worship using the generations. And you see him kind of going back and forth. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour the fame of your abundance goodness, abundant goodness, and so on, and back and forth. And so we see that worship is not just a single thing, a me and you, Jesus type of moment, but it's actually a corporate thing as well. It's like coming to the dinner table. And, you know, you as members of your family are individuals, but when you come together, you're a corporate whole, and you're a family, and you're coming together. And then in verses 8 and 9, we see God's gracious heart. Not only he is a God who has great works, but also he is a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Then in verse 10 through 13, not only he is great, his works are awesome, he has a gracious heart, but in 10 through 13, he is the king, and we exist because of his king, kingdom, and, and he's saying all of his works, all the works that God has made shall go and praise you and worship you. And so he's saying, I'm not the only one here. All of life, all of creation, God is going to be under your kingly reign and your kingly rule because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And then verses 14 through 20, it talks about his goodness to all creation. Verses 15 uh, to 17, we see that God is righteous. He is good. He satisfies the hungry. He satisfies the desires of every living thing. He is righteous and kind in all his works. But look at 18 through 20. He's near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy. Yes, we come under the judgment of God, but because he loved us, we no longer come under his judgment, but we come under his love, and we are invited to love him back. And see, it goes back to us fearing the Lord, being near to him, calling out to him in the presence of the king and his kingdom and understanding we are a body who is created to worship. And it goes back to verse 21. He says, and he ends it all, starting and ending where he left off. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Does your extolling the worship of God, does it start and does it end with the greatness of God? Is your extolling so much that you kind of go around full circle, that you start at the greatness of God and then you go into all the things that he has done and your heart is so overwhelmed by his grace in your life of saving you from addictions or saving you from your sin or saving you from um, just a hard situation and trial in life and you're just propelled by his goodness. And then that makes you want to be under his kingship, want to obey him more, want to surrender to him more and then reminding you of the time in which you were near and you called out to him and he saved you. And it goes back to his greatness. That's extolling God. 
That is worshiping God. The last thing I want to just come away with is that this is the last word of David. This is his last word, his last psalm um, that he gave us. And for us, I think if this is David's last words, then this should probably be (laughs) something that should guide us, something that should be on our hearts constantly, and something that even as we're looking at our own words, as we're keeping track of our songs, of our of our words, of our conversations, is the extolling of God, is that, is that your song? And will it be your song in which you would invite not only and, and say, taste and see that the Lord is good, but also you're inviting others. And you're, you sound like David and you're saying, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. True worship, as you extol the greatness of God, it invites people in. That's what I want to invite you into right now. As we stand and as we end this time and as our prayer, our prayer team comes up, we would delight to pray for you and, um, and just to bring to the throne of God anything that um, you would love to bring before him. And, um, but also, will you just spend this time being enraptured and extol God for his greatness, for his works, his goodness, and his mercy? Let's go to God in in prayer as we close out our time together.